Hello. All right, so we're going to get rolling. I think it's time, right? So uh, let's pray, and then we'll start talking. Uh, Father in heaven, again, I just want to thank you for the opportunity to be at the workshop this weekend, God, and uh, to come here and to get to look into your word, God, and to get to hear people uh, talk and speak from your word, get to worship together, get to see brothers and sisters who I don't get to see all the time, and get to uh, enjoy that fellowship and the and the fun of being together, God. I pray, though, that... Uh, there's a lot more to uh, the workshop this weekend than just a reunion of uh, old friends, but God, that we can take lessons that we've learned here and the things that we hear, that we can apply them to our lives, that we can take them back uh, to our churches, God, and to uh, our daily walks with you, and that they can make a a great impact uh, on the world around us, the community around us, God. And as we talk about uh, going from crowd to conversion, God, that we can look at uh, your ministry, your son's ministry, and uh, what he did here on earth, God, and maybe we can figure out some ways that we can draw a crowd, God, but also that we can take people from that crowd and we can uh, bring them into right relationship with you uh, that in turn puts them into ministry and doing the things they need to do as well, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Is it good or you want me to use one of those? We're good? All right. So uh, so we're going to be talking about going from crowd to conversion. And, uh, you know, this is a, a technically this is a campus ministry uh, track that we're talking about, but... Uh, a lot of times in college ministry, it's very easy for a college ministry or a youth ministry to draw a crowd of people. All you have to do is offer free food, and you're going to bring people to something. And that's the way it happens. And don't laugh, old people, because that's what potlucks do, too, at church, right? You bring food, you put it out there, and people come because they're like, oh, yeah, I want some free grub. So uh, it do- this doesn't only apply to, to the youngins. But, uh, you know, what I want to do for a little while here is look at Jesus' ministry and to, to examine what it means to go from the crowd to the core and why the crowd is important and exactly how we can do it. When you look at the Bible, I don't know, I, I was curious, so I went and I counted through uh, passages where the Bible talks about Jesus and him dealing with crowds. And there's somewhere around 35-ish passages that talk specifically about crowds converging around Jesus. Because the thing that we need to understand, and one of the things that I think will help us in ministry is, is that Jesus did not start with the converted. He started with crowds of people. He started with big groups of people. And one of the things that we need to understand and we need to be, we become comfortable with is we can't be afraid of drawing a crowd. You know, like, and I'm not saying when I say this, you know, there's a lot of people out there now who are very anti-megachurch. I'm not saying we should all be a megachurch and draw 3,000 people to our church. I'm talking about figuring out ways to draw a crowd of people who do not have a relationship with God and figuring out how do I take this mass group of people that we've drawn and how do I show them how to come into a right relationship with Jesus Christ that allows them to go out and do that same thing for other people. And it would be really sad for us to look and say, man, I don't really want to do that because that's just too many people to deal with. It's too hard, but that happens. Uh, you know, we talked about this actually in our last class a little bit, is that churches become comfortable. And when you start drawing a bunch of people into a church, guess what it does? It upsets the balance of things. And people start freaking out. And they're like, oh, this is different. Everything's changing. I don't know if I like this or not. And people get, get kind of freaked out by it. But we need to become more comfortable with the crowds because it was something that Jesus had to do. You know, constantly he was drawing people around him and drawing these crowds to himself. And I don't think we should let that opportunity pass us by. Uh, one of the things that I've seen in campus ministry, you know, we, I'm a hyper kind of person. If you're around me very long, you're going to find out pretty quickly that's my thing. 
As a matter of fact, I worked for a university for six years as the director of student life and leadership because they saw the events our college ministry was putting on, and they saw that we were drawing bigger crowds to our college ministry events than the university had ever drawn to any event they had ever put on. And so they were like, hey, we just fired this guy. You put on big events here on campus with your college ministry. Do you want to do this for a job? And I was like, uh, sure. So I did that for several years because it's something that I love to do. It's something I, I, I like putting on a good party. I guess I don't know if there's another way to put it. I, I love being able to be around people and, and, and draw people in and finding ways to market it to where we can pull people into to, to whatever it was that we were doing, whether it be a concert on the campus or whether it be the campus ministries root beer kegger that we do every year. You know, we were drawing 1,500 people to this college, college ministry root beer kegger every year where you've got kids doing root beer keg stands and you've got them playing root beer pong and all these different things. It sounds like a really stupid event, but then you look around and you're like, why are there 1,500 college kids here at this event? Because we were willing to do anything that we didn't feel like was going to violate God's law in order to come into contact with more people. But our intent was not to leave it at that. You know, there are a lot of things that churches do that we know draw a big crowd, right? There, there, you can put on an event that's going to draw a lot of people. You can offer food. You can give away, you know, clothes. You can do all kinds of drives. And you know that they're going to draw a crowd. But the problem becomes when we lose Jesus' purpose. Because Jesus' purpose was never to draw a big crowd to simply let them dissipate and go back to the way life was before they came and heard him. And so one of the things that we do as a ministry, that we do as a church at the crossings in, in, up in uh, Winsville, one of the things we do is every year we look at everything we did and we say, man, how did this event go over? Oh, man, it went over well. We did this and that. And, you know, there were, there were hundreds of people who showed up for it. It was crazy. It was almost out of control. It was a blast. And, but at the end of the day, what we do is we say, okay, but what was the impact? What was the impact that we had? And, and was anybody won because of that? Was it something that we were, were able to connect with someone? And if not, next year, that event probably doesn't need to happen again, even though it drew a crowd, because the goal is to take people from the crowd and take them to do a converted. And actually, to go beyond that, to take them to a core, to where they're a part of what's going on. They're a part of ministry. They're doing ministry themselves. So what we want to do is look at Jesus' ministry and say, man, how did he do this? First of all, how did he draw a crowd? How was it that he, he would go and he would have to get, it would get so crowded, he would have to get in boats and teach from boats. And it would get so crowded that the, the apostles were like, okay, this is scary. Like, there's too many people here. So how did he do that? Well, first of all, he did it by meeting people's needs. And it wasn't, at first, it wasn't the spiritual needs that we tend to think of. You know, some churches, sometimes we get so caught up, we're like, well, yeah, we're not going to do that because that's not a spiritual thing. That's only, that's only something that deals with the physical. And if, you, and if you know me very well at all, one of the things that drives me crazy right now, especially about the younger generation come, that's coming up, is, is simp- when it comes to missions, missions have become social justice missions, and they've become much less spiritual than what they need to be. But I do understand the side of it that says there is a need. And if we can meet that need, then people might be drawn towards Christ. The problem is, is when we stop there. The problem becomes if we draw a crowd just to draw a crowd or we're meeting a need just so that we can feel good about ourselves. And there are, you guys, there are lots of ministries that do this. There are a lot of ministries and a lot of churches who will put on an event because it feels good to do it. And so they'll, they'll have a clothing drive or a, a, a school supply drive and they'll have all of these people come. And for the rest of the year, they'll talk about how awesome it was and how many people came through the doors, but nothing spiritual ever takes place. But the thing that we need to do, but what we tend to do is we discount all of it. We're like, we'll see nothing happen with that, so we just shouldn't do it anymore. 
Well, no, because Jesus drew crowds because he was meeting physical needs that people had. He was meeting felt needs. You look at, you look at Luke 4, 18 and 19. It says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the, the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And you look at like things like the feeding of the 5,000, the, heal, the healing after healing after healing that Jesus did. And what you see is he was meeting physical needs that necessarily weren't spiritual. And so people would come and they would say, man, hey, I'm sick. This guy can help me. I'm going to go get that. They weren't going and saying, hey, this is the son of God, and he's going to connect me to, to God. Jesus is going to be that, that mediator between me and, me and God, and it's going to be. They didn't understand that at all. They were going to him because he had something good to offer them. He offered them healing. He offered them food. And you look at the list of things in Luke 8, 4, 18 and 19 that he talks about. He's dealing with felt needs. And we need to look around in our communities and say, what are the needs of our community? If your church has grown stagnant and it's not growing and, and you, you've watched it dwindle over the years, what, you know, examining that and saying, okay, why is it that we're not drawing people in? Do the, why are they not seeing the benefit of a relationship with God? Why are they not at least getting the opportunity to come see that? What are the needs of our community? And we, and we look at those things and we say, man, I need to find a way to connect with that. When we started the, the crossings in uh, Wentzville, we, we moved over from a church in Illinois in 2004. 30 of us moved, and we moved over to, to, to St. Charles County, Missouri. And St. Charles County, Missouri was much different than Alton. Alton is extremely, extremely diverse. It's, uh, you know, there's lots of really, there's nice neighborhoods and there's Godfrey where there's huge houses. And then there's the projects in the ghetto. And there's like, you know, it's all in this one area, which is cool. But when we moved to St. Charles County, it was so different for me. I used to joke with my, with my black friends. I would be like, man, when I, when I look around St. Charles County, I come back to Alton and I'm like, I just have to touch you. I miss black people because there aren't hardly any in St. Charles County. Well, it just so happens that uh, Wentzville, the area we're in, actually has a couple areas that really do remind me of Alton. It has a, a, a neighborhood called the Valley, the Valley, and it has a neighborhood called the Heights. And when we first started the church, we had never done a VBS, I don't think ever, in the history. Like any, it, When I was a kid, I don't remember ever doing VBS. For some reason, we decided... Let's do a VBS. There's this, these two neighborhoods that have all these kids. So we started do, doing VBS, and we were having van loads of kids from the Heights and from the Valley. And, and while we were doing this, when we, when we would take these kids home at night, van loads of kids back home, there was a, a specific couple, Chandler and, and Laura Atkins. They were engaged at the time. They weren't married yet. But they would take these kids home at night, and they would drop them off, and they would, their parents would be either not there at all, and it would be late at night, and they're like, what do I do with these little bitty kids? Like, I have, like, first graders. I can't leave this kid here by themselves. Or they would knock on a door, and a parent would be drunk. Or they would open the door, and nobody would answer, so they would open the door to see what's going on, and they would be passed out high on a couch. And things like, things like this that they're seeing. And, they're, and so one night when VBS was closing out, we, we've de- you know how you go to a camp or a VBS, and you develop a relationship with these kids, right? And you, and you love them, and you, you hurt for them, and you want for them. Chandler and Laura, man, I'm, I've been a crier today. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> Chandler and Laura leave uh, the Heights one night, and they pull over on the side of the road outside of the Heights, and they just cry because they see the needs and the hurts of these kids. And they're like, we have to do something. Something has to be done to help these kids. And so we started a New Heights tutoring and mentoring program. 
And, and it's to help these kids. It's a, it's a need that we see that, man, they're doing terrible in school. They're barely making it. So let's tutor them. Let's mentor them. And, we, and I don't know, how many kids come to the Heights program? That 70? Right now we have 70 kids on Thursday nights that come to the church building and they come in and they get to eat and they get to hang out with families and they get to see something different and they get to be fed a meal they may not, they might not have gotten that night and they get to be taught and sat down with, with, with someone who knows what they're talking about for school, which they wouldn't have got. We're meeting these needs, but ultimately the, the end game is not to help these kids get better grades in school. Do we want that? Obviously. And, it, and that's part of the reason that they come. That's part of the reason they're allowed to come, but they're, it's, it's a physical need that we're meeting, but if all New Heights does is meets that physical need, we have failed. If we put on our spooktacular that we do every year, and we have hundreds to thousands of people who come, and we spend all this money to get these people to come, and, and we've met this need of supplying families with a fun, safe thing to do. It's something that families need. If all they do is get good candy and they walk away, and that's all that ever takes place, we have failed miserably. But if we can take that and we can flip it and we can offer them something greater than that, then that becomes a success. Matthew 19, 1 and 2 says, When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went to the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan, and large crowds followed him, and he healed them from he healed them there. See, he, he looked and he said, I'm going to heal these people here. But the thing was is that God, Jesus understood that you have to do more than just interact with people in this big setting. You have to do more than just meeting just that need. There's got to be a deeper connection than that. And even on Sunday mornings, guys, if you have a great big Sunday morning service that draws a lot of people because your worship is great or because whatever reason, but if people come there and they leave and they don't leave different, then we're, we're failing at, at taking people from the crowds to conversion. We have to, first of all, we have to meet their needs, but second of all, we have to realize we have to get close to the people in the crowds. Look at Matthew 8, 1 through 3. When he came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And then look what it says. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately he was cured of his leprosy. Look at Mark 7, 33. Jesus took him aside from the crowd. That's important. He takes this man aside from the crowd. And then look at the next words. By himself and put his finger into his ears. And after spitting, he touched his tongue with saliva. There, there's something that's taking place. God, Jesus is looking, saying, man, this is great. These people are coming from the crowds. But he understood there had to be a more personal connection that took place. There had to be a way to develop a relationship to where you get to be one-on-one, where you can put your hand out and you can touch someone and say, hey, let's talk about your life. Let's get to know you. When it comes to our root beer kegger, I remember we were, when we were putting on the root beer kegger and we were a campus ministry of uh, probably 50-ish college students. And, and we were having 1,500 kids come out to the root beer kegger. And the whole point of the root beer kegger was to help people find a relationship with God. But when there's 50 of you and there's 1,500 of them and it's crazy and there's music playing and there's keg stands going on, it's like, how do we accomplish our mission how do we connect with these people in a deeper way to take them from this giant crowd to this thing? So we would tell our people, hey, you know what? You need to pick one or two people and get to know them. If they leave the rubric kegger, you find one or two more people that you can build, get to know and build a relationship with. Because the whole point of this is to get them into a right relationship with God. And that is going to require some personal communication, some physical touch. It's going to require a relationship. 
And the sad thing is, is that oftentimes as churches, we do such a poor job of this. And part of the reason we do so terribly at taking people who, who are not in a right relationship with God from the crowd to the core is because we don't even, we don't have those type of relationships in our church. We go into our churches and we have these big crowds there on Sunday mornings and we pay our dues on Sunday morning, but there's no relationship with each other outside of what takes place on that Sunday morning or the occasional potluck. And then we come back the next week and that's what, that's what we call relationship and fellowship and intimacy. That's what we call it. And God's looking and he's going, what? So if we can't do it with our brothers and sisters in Christ, then we know it's going to be a problem when it comes to the world. It's going to be difficult for us to go and say, man, I need to connect deeply with this person so that they can find a relationship with God. But when you look at Jesus, that's what he did. You look at the way he connected with families even. Mark 10, and this is a famous passage, you know, people were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God is like a little child or like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms and he put his hands on them and he blessed them. And you look at what Jesus did here. He is connecting with those children. But what do you think that is saying to those parents? That this teacher, this man, this man of God is taking the time to get down and to play with these kids, to hug these kids, to set them on his lap. Yet whenever sometimes the crowds come to our church and their kids are too unruly, we're like, hey, knock it off. You're going to tear up the church building. And we get all upset about these little things. And we forget that this is about relationship and connecting people to God. And the way we do that is we connect them to godly people, which is us. And if we want to move people from the crowd to the, to the converted and to the core to people who can do that same thing for other people, then we've got to take relationships much, much more seriously than what we have. You know, I think about all the people who, who came to the root beer kegger, and it's, it's almost sad in a sense because I look, and I've, you know, we've seen thousands of people filter through the root beer kegger, and it can be easy to be discouraged by seeing these people come, and they eat, and then they leave, and then you never see them again. But then I can sit here and look, and I can tell you there are people in this crowd who the root beer kegger was one of the first events they've ever attended. Anybody in here? Becca's right here, you know. She's sitting here, and she's like, yeah, Michael. That's one of the first events they've, they ever came to, and it changed everything for them. But Becca, was it the event that impressed you? No, it wasn't the event. Hey, hey, was Bub in here? Can you give me a microphone? It wasn't the event that, event that impressed you, right? Okay, can you, can you tell us what it was? We're going to get a microphone for Becca. Sorry, Becca, I'm putting you on the spot. I should have told her I was going to do this, right? You know, it, it's, not that, it's not that event that was so impressive to them. There was something else that drew them. And like I said, I haven't got to talk to Becca about this, but I'm pretty certain what she's going to tell you is exactly what I think she's going to tell you. What was it that impressed you? Um, the relationships with people. Because <laughs> uh, I came to the root beer kegger and I was actually drunk because I was an alcoholic. But looking around and seeing, I was just broken and empty. And those people were knew what I would They could smell the alcohol in my breath and they didn't turn around. They just kept getting in there with me because they knew like who drinks by themselves, you know, and they just kept getting in there with me and the relationships is what drew me back. Can I ask you, do you remember who it was? Jess Williams. Jess Williams. Why do you remember that? Because she stuck with me and um, she actually ended up studying the Bible with me after that. And 
I just remember thinking, this girl is crazy. She knows, <laughs> she knows that what I just did, did before this, and she still wants that relationship with me, and she's still my best friend to this day. <laughs> okay, you know, that's, isn't that awesome to see, like, and to think about the fact of how many people we miss because we're so caught up in worrying about things that we shouldn't be worried about at all. And we need to be figuring out ways. You guys, Becca is one of, Becca, if you, Becca and I are really close. I love Becca to death. Like, she's, I just love her. And I wouldn't have that relationship if it wasn't for a crowd. And then I wouldn't have that relationship if it, if it wasn't for another, another young lady, another college girl who said, I'm going to connect with Becca. And yeah, she might be drunk, but you know what? That just shows me she's the, it's the, it's the sick who need a doctor, not the healthy. I'm going to jump in and I'm going to build a relationship with her and I'm going to connect with her. And then I'm going to study the Bible with her. And guys, the awesome thing about it is that Becca is now on our church plant. We planted a church last year and she's out there doing the same thing that was done for her. And it's, it's such an exciting thing to take place, but that would have never happened if Jess Williams wouldn't have said, you know what, I need to connect with this person on a more intimate level, on a deep level. And Jess, I guarantee you that night had had that conversation with, with the whole campus ministry. Pick one or two people, get to know them, love them, show them what a relationship with God is like. And that's what she went out and did. And we need to do that. You know, it, you would be amazed how many times at the crossings, we have guests. We, we have guests come in. So we started in 04 with 30 of us. We're running a little around a probably a little around 500 ish on Sundays now. And out of that 500, there may be 15 that grew up with restoration movement background at all. And most of them didn't grow up with a relationship. They're unchurched. They didn't grow up in a relationship with God. And and people come into our church and they sit there. And the craziest thing. I would say probably 70% of the time, and you can ask anybody in this room that goes to her church, so I'm telling the truth, 70% of the time I'm talking to them, I'm like, oh, did you enjoy it today? And they're like, everyone is so friendly. I have, and the sad thing is, is this is what they say next. I have never been to a church that is so friendly. And more time, and you would be, you would be dumbfounded how many times someone says this to me. I went to such and such church last week and I walked in and I sat down and no one said hi to me except for the person who handed me a bulletin. I sat down and I left. And sometimes it's, I went to that church for three months and never developed a single relationship. We have guests who come into our churches and sit there and no one does anything to connect with them. We are so caught up in our own stuff. We are so selfish and so off focus that we allow people who are looking for a relationship with God, who are coming to us to walk out of that without being touched personally by a man or woman of God. And that's a sad situation. We, we really have adopted it. You know, when you see signs on church buildings, and I'm sorry if this offends anyone if your church says, sign says this, but you guys have seen the church signs that say, come grow with us, right? And we're like, yep, we did our part for evangelism. Our sign says, you're right there, you're welcome, come grow with us. And people come in and they, and they look around and they don't ever connect with anybody and they leave. And that's kind of the way we've done things. And if we want to make a real impact in the world around us, in our communities, it's time to change our paradigm and say, you know what, what are we going to do to connect with these people? How can we draw a crowd here? And then how do I take them from there to there? Now, one of the things that gets people in trouble a lot of times when it comes to this is, you, you know, a lot of 
A lot of people look at this and they're like, oh, you're just doing the Willow Creek thing. Willow Creek, they're those seeker-sensitive people, and everything they do is designed just to draw a crowd. And you know what? Willow Creek has its weaknesses, and it does some stupid things, and some of their doctrines are pretty jacked up. But the one thing I can tell you they are good at is drawing a crowd. So why do we not learn from that and say, okay, how do I draw a crowd? But then we take it a step further and we say, okay, how do I connect with these people? And then the next thing we need to do is taking it even another step further than that, and that is have the courage to challenge the crowd. You, you, I think sometimes we bought into this lie that if, we, if we're going to convert people, if we're going to get people to come to church, we're going to get them to stick around, that we have to have this fluffy service that doesn't really touch anybody and it doesn't have to be very serious and we don't ever have to say anything hard to them and hopefully that way they'll stick around. And the reason we've adopted that is because that's what we do in relationship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. When you look at first century church, Christian relationships, they were very much so different than when the way we interact with each other. And, and I know this because I, my whole family, guys, both sides of my family are Church of Christers, all right? Like, I've grown up in this my entire life, and I've watched my family's relationships with the people in their church, and I know that my aunts or my uncles or my grandpa or my grandmother, and I've seen the way they can act, and they could, they could act totally off kilter from God's word, and no one in their church is ever going to challenge them on it. They're never going to say anything to them about it. Everybody's going to brush it under the rug, and they're going to go to church every Sunday. They're going to smile and tell, tell each other they're doing fine, and that's the extent of it. And so when we act, interact with each other in that manner, we think, oh man, when people come into our, to our church or to a, an event of ours, we can't have any kind of challenge or any kind of serious conversation with them, but that's not the case. Look at some of the things that Jesus said to the crowds. It, this does two things. When you look at the way Jesus talked to the crowds, there are a couple things. One, it weeds out the people who aren't serious. Two, it allows the people who are serious to realize the commitment that they're, that they're being asked to make. Luke 14, 25 and 27. Large crowds were, were traveling with Jesus. And turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, mother, wife, children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And you look at this and you're like, wait a minute. He drew this huge crowd here by feeding people, by healing people. He pulled them all around and now he's like trying to run them off. You know, he's like, that's a hard teaching. You you guys realize that that Jesus said things that were very difficult for people to, to want to, to internalize, right? That's why they said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Because Jesus said things to people that were difficult. They were hard for people to internalize. And here he is saying, listen, you know, you've got to be willing to give up everything and nothing in your life can come as a priority above me. What do you think the crowd was thinking when they heard that? They had to be going, wait a minute. But on the other hand, they looked and they said, this is a guy who has treated us with love, who, with respect. He's done things, everything he can to meet our physical needs. Maybe I should lend my ear to him when he's challenging me on something. Maybe I should listen. And that's one of the things that I can say is really cool about ministries like our Heights ministry. Because sometimes when you have 70 kids who come in who really have, in a lot of cases, very little to no parental guidance, and it can get crazy and out of hand. So sometimes the New Heights tutors and mentors and people who are involved have to be pretty straight and hard with these kids. And you would think that doing that would turn them away. But there's just something about having someone who's shown you that they love and care for you. When they say the hard things to you, you don't want to run away from it. You turn to it and you're like, wait a minute. 
I need to listen to what this person has to say. My parents were known for being very difficult on us. Uh, you know, I've, I've had conversations, I've had conversations with people who were elders at a church we were a part of before and some leaders in the old church. And they're like, man, Carrie, your dad was so hard on you and Ashley. And they're like, most kids whose parents are that strict and that hard on them, they run away and they rebel. And, and they have all kinds of problems. Marlon used to joke with me because my dad, when he would get mad, he would grab me by the shoulders and when he would be talking to me, his hands were just shaking and I was like, <laughs> you know, and like, and, 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 and my dad would be, he would be hard on us. And the thing that from, an, from the outside looking in, it looked, it didn't look right. It was like, how can you be so hard on these kids? But yet they're doing what you said because I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that my dad loved me. I knew he loved me. You know how I knew? He took care of me. Because after every discipline, while people saw the discipline, they didn't always see the side conversation where he pulled, his side, pulled me aside and he put his hands on me in, in a gentle way. You know, he put his hands on me and he said, you know what, Carrie? I'm disciplining you. I'm saying these hard things to you because I love you deeply. And I'm trying to help you avoid bad consequences in the future because if you don't learn to obey me now, you won't obey God and your life will be a wreck They didn't get to see all of that. And here's Jesus saying very hard things for people to say. And you first look at that and you're like, man, that's pretty harsh. I can't believe they all didn't run away. No, they didn't all run away. You know why? Because they knew that this man, for whatever reason, cared for them. And he loved them. And when you draw people into your church and you create ministries that deal with with hurts and needs that people have and they get a chance to see you interact with them and love them you become able to say the difficult things to them you can say you need to give up everything in 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 order to follow christ and they're going to go okay i get that i see the benefit of it because i see what's going on here one of the ministries i see that happens so much in our church is our wounded heart ministry so wounded heart is about dealing with sexual abuse uh, my father, he'll probably talk about this tonight, so I don't want to get into great detail, but my dad was sexually abused by his great-grandfather. Said something about it from the pulpit one time, uh, and then he started sharing it because it was touching people, and people were coming up and saying, I've never told anyone this, but I was sexually abused as well. And it, and it just opened the floodgates. And then this lady named Janice Wade came to church one time, and Janice was sitting in the back, and you're going to hear this, and I'm not going to get all the details, but my dad was talking about his abuse and how God had healed him was using that. And she was sitting in the, in the back row of our church, and during church goes, that's bull in church. And you're going to get to hear Janice's testimony tonight. And, and the thing is, is that people come in, and, and their needs are being met. And this becomes more of an emotional, emotional thing, right? They've been sexually abused. They've never talked about it before. And then they come into a class. And, and if you know Janice very well, and if you've ever taken Wounded Heart with Janice, you, you know she can be pretty dang straight with people to the point that it's uncomfortable. And you're like, what, how's this going to go? You know how it goes? It goes fine. Do you know why? Because those people know that Janice loves them. You know how they know? Because she's opened her heart to them. And she's sitting down with them eyeball to eyeball. And she's telling her story. And she's meeting their, their emotional needs by listening to them and pointing them to Christ. So when she says, knock it off, that's a terrible attitude to have. They go, you're right. <laughs> and, they, and they don't take off. And you know, it's, it's amazing to see take place. But that's what happens when you love the people who are part of the crowd is you're able to say things to them that you, you would have never thought you could get away with saying. But they long for it because we, we want someone to be able to say those things. We want to be loved in such a way, in such an intimate way that somebody can be real with us. And somebody isn't going to go, oh, no, you're fine just the way you are. 
You, we've all seen that take place, right? You know, people in our church who they say, no, I'm, I'm, I know I can be really harsh and mean sometimes. And everybody's like, until, until that one person goes, oh, no, you're good. And you're like, dude, he was falling good somewhere, you know? And, but, they, but they try to appease. And it's one of those things to where we long to be loved in a way that people can see our junk, they can say the hard things to us, and we can still walk out of that, out of that church, out of that room, out of that ministry together, arm in arm, and know we're still loved. These people, they knew Jesus loved them. Matthew eleven twenty says, Then Jesus began to denounce the cities in, when, in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. You will have people, though, who don't respond well. You know, we put on big events, and, and it's, it's, I hate seeing so many people who come never really give God and his people a chance. It drives me crazy, but like I said, but then I look and I see those one, the, the ones who didn't, but then I see the ones who did. And I see how God has worked in their lives, and it, it makes me realize, man, it's worth drawing a crowd. It's worth meeting needs. It's worth loving people. Because if it can touch this person's life, and it can change that, and it can break the cycle that they came through, and their family can be different, it makes it all worth it. You see, we have to meet people's needs. We have to get close to the people in the crowd. It's not enough to just get them there. You've got to develop personal relationship. We have to be willing to challenge them. But also, finally, we need to be able to give them hope for what the future can be and what the future can look like. You know, look at the things that Jesus said to the people in Matthew eleven twenty through 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And he's saying, listen, I can, I can help things be different and better. I long for our churches to be places where people can come and they can be a part of the crowd, they can be connected with, they can be challenged, and they can be given hope that says, listen, if you listen to God, things can be different. And they can sit down across from a couple who, they study, who they're studying the Bible with or another person who they're studying the Bible with who can share a story like Becca's and say, listen, the first event I came to, I was drunk. And you know, but it doesn't have to end that way. You know, I grew up, and Becca could tell him, I grew up in a home I grew up in a divorced home, and there were all kinds of issues, and there were all kinds of problems, and that's probably part of the reason it led to me being, me to being an alcoholic when I was 18 years old. That's probably part of the reason I was so screwed up so young. And you know what? Maybe that's where you are now, but you know what? God has worked in my life, and he's changed my heart. And I'm not, a, I'm not going out and getting drunk. I'm not drinking anymore. I'm not acting the way I used to act. I don't, I don't hate myself and loathe myself the way that I used to. As a matter of fact, now I'm married and I'm on a church plant and God is working in my life in incredible ways. And the person across from them gets to say, well, that gives me some hope because I'm pretty messed up. You know, we tell people all the time at the crossings, listen, we want to put a, and someday we are going to do this. We want to put a sign above the, the, the doorway to our church that says thoroughly tested rafters because we want people to know the building is not going to come down around them if they walk into our church because if it was going to come down it would have already happened trust me and it gives them hope to say man if these people were so messed up and God has used them and worked in their life man that means he can do the same for mine and God can give me rest he can work in my life but it takes us walking down and doing what Jesus did you think about Jesus's conversation with the Samaritan woman and what took place in that, com- in that conversation? He gets close. He gets personal. 
He talks to her about what's going on in her, her life. He's not afraid to challenge her. As a matter of fact, he kind of sets her up on a tee, right? He's like, oh, are you married? Like he didn't know, right? Are you married? No, I'm not. I've been married. I've been married so many times. And dude I'm with now isn't even my, he's not even my husband. He's like, yeah, you're exactly right. This is how many times you've been married. And this is how messed up you are. He wasn't afraid to challenge her. But you also look as that conversation carries through. You know, he sits there with her, he talks with her, and then he starts offering her. He says, hey, you know, there's going to come a day when you're going to worship the Father. And all of a sudden, the conversation changed from, changes from, oh, this guy probably thinks I'm just some dirty, gross, skanky woman, to this man believes I could be a true worshiper of the Father. And he gives her hope. And he gives her an opportunity for things to be different. And then the amazing thing is, is what happens after he does that? After he takes it and he boils it down and he sits with one person, what happens whenever he, whenever he comes back, whenever it comes back around? What does she bring to him? A crowd. She brings a whole town to him. See, that's what happens whenever people are, whenever we look at, look at people and we say, man, we got this crowd of people here. I'm going to develop a relationship with this person. I want to touch them. I want to be personal and intimate with them the way that Jesus was with people. And I want to bring healing to their life. And I don't want to be afraid to challenge them. And I want to give them hope. And they come and then they get to go bring a whole new crowd of people that you would have never probably had contact with. You would have never reached. You would have never known if it wasn't for that person being reached from the crowd and converted. To where they get to go back out and they get to do that same thing and it all just continues to reproduce itself. It is, it is so amazing to see what God can do whenever we allow him to work. When we take principles from his word and we say, this is what Jesus did with a crowd. This is how, this is how Jesus took people from crowd to conversion. And we start applying those principles in our own lives. Incredible things can happen. But we have to make some hard decisions in order to do that. That's not an easy thing to do. It makes people uncomfortable. You start doing that in your church, you're probably going to make some people uncomfortable. You start asking the leadership of your church to start doing some of those things, people are probably going to get uncomfortable. But it's very clear when you look at Scripture what it takes in order to take people from crowd to conversion. And we need to apply those principles so that other people can be brought into a right relationship with God. We can't be afraid of the crowds, and we also can't allow that opportunity to pass us by. God wants to do incredible things through each and every one of you, through all of your ministries, through all of our churches. You know, I look at, you know, you look at things like the first century church and the impact they had. I understand we live in a different time and a different age and things aren't the same way that they always were. But, you know, whenever I look and it says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who are, those who are being saved. And I look at that, I'm like, man, what if all of our churches were experiencing that kind of thing? What if they were all real? What if we all truly believe that God could still work the same way He did in the first century? Guess what, guys? He can. The barrier is not God. It's not that God has changed or is any different than He ever was to start with. It's that His people have to be what He's called us to be. And we have to be willing to do the hard things and commit to making the difficult decisions and, you know, to commit to sitting down. It is difficult to sit down with someone sometimes, one on one, and build an intimate relationship because that requires that we be vulnerable. And we don't like being vulnerable. It is very uncomfortable to do. But that's what it takes if we're really going to reach people. So ultimately, we have to ask ourselves, is it really worth it? 
When I look back on all of the big events we put on as a church and as a campus ministry, and I think about all the, the long days and all of the planning and the money spent and the hard work that it took and the people who I thought God was gonna, that were going to listen to God and allow them to work and the disappointment that I felt when they decided they didn't want to listen to God, when I take all those things into account, but I look back and I say, but yeah, but Becca's here. I look and I say, you know what? It's worth it. It's worth it. And we have to ask ourselves, is it, is it going to be worth it for us to invest in the kingdom of God in a way that brings about a great harvest? Or is it something we're like, nah, don't really want to do it? Because it's very possible if we choose to do it. So I just want to kind of challenge all of us, myself included, to look and say, man, am I going to choose to invest this way into the kingdom of God? Am I going to do what it takes to do the difficult things to take people from, a cra- from the crowd to the converted, to the core, so that they can go out and do that same thing again. Uh, Let's pray, and then we'll be dismissed. Uh, Father in heaven, I want to thank you again for uh, the opportunity just to to look at your son and to look at the way that he did things, God. Sometimes when when it is, is humans, God, we look at the things your son did, and it just seems backwards. But we also know that that's just not the case. You you know what you're doing. He knew what he was doing. And I pray that you help us to see the wisdom in... uh, in the way that he did ministry and that you'll help us to be people who are willing to adopt those same patterns that we can uh, look at your son and follow him in every way possible so that we can reach as many as possible, God, so that people who are out there who are lost and hurting and longing for something different, longing for something more, can have a relationship with you, God. Help us to, to commit to being everything you've called us to be. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.